And now you got everybody mad. All kids love law. Tis the podcast law. Yes, law. Of the Star Wars Collector's Archive Blog. Oh. Yes, log. Whenever the Star Wars Collector's Archive publishes a new blog, log. this podcast will log, log its contents, interview its writers, and go deeper. It's the Kivecast Blog Log Pod. You, sir, are a mouthful. Relax and just take life easy for a little while. Welcome to the fourth blog log pod. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, Steve, I mean, I know we don't have an opening that we say to each blog log. Pod. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you have to work on something more than yes. <laughs> um, I, you may notice this sounds different than a lot of episodes. Uh, normally, I'm sitting in front of my computer with a nice microphone. Um, my computer went through, but I call sky two K it is completely wiped. It does not exist. Steve is recording it on his computer. Everything is completely funky. Do you know where I am right now, Steve? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing not in the basement. <laughs> I'm not in the basement. I am literally walking next to the beautiful Erie canal in Pittsburgh, New York. Oh man. Um, that sounds I, good. I, I could, I'm actually going to pick up a rock right here <laughs> and I'm going to throw it into the Erie canal. So, uh, <laughs> That's where I am, and uh, we've the next episode that you guys hear, you'll hear the whole saga of episode 84. It's yes. a long, expensive, circuitous one filled with heartbreak and misery. Yeah. But for right now, we are going to bring you a very special treat that Steve and I have been hoping on and uh, waiting on for a long time. Yeah, long uh, time. If you've, been, if you've been listening to the show, you remember the second blog log pod, which was the uh, Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest. And that was our interview with, uh, with Scott Kinney, who set up the whole show. So the whole idea was that we were going to have Steve on there, because Steve was featured on the show, Scott, because he designed the show, and then the main guest, who was David Mandel. Yeah. But uh, for some reason, he couldn't join. Do you remember why that was, Steve? <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess the Veep had something to do with that. <laughs> Yeah, so he's like the showrunner, which is like the hardest working person on a TV show. Yeah, it's basically uh, a... For the, for the show. Yeah, 24-hour, like, seven job. <laughs> right, and so we're like, can you talk about Star Wars toys? And he wanted to talk about Star Wars toys, Yeah, but he couldn't do it because, I mean, I don't know how many Emmys it's nominated for, but <laughs> I think it's like all, all of them. It's a lot. <laughs> so this, this may be our, our first Emmy-winning uh, interview. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this before on, on a previous iteration of the show. Are the Emmys the only award that actually goes to the thing that deserves it? I think it's a good, you know, uh, like, yeah, a good. I think it's a good thing to say, yeah, that they they do because you're right. I mean, they, in terms of the the actual quality, it seems like it ends up going to to the right place. Right, because Arrested Development won won Emmys even yeah. when the show wasn't popular. Right, right, and like all these great shows win, whereas the Oscars. It's like, you know, Forrest Gump beats Pulp Fiction and, you know, the Grammys. It's like Shakira wins every year. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. Steve. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, that, that's a little bit of a sidetrack. Um, but uh, you may hear it on the episode. 
I, I sometimes get starstruck. I was definitely starstruck uh, the first time that I, I interviewed Gus. The first couple of times I actually interviewed Chris and Ron, I was a little bit starstruck too. Definitely Rick Springfield. Um, yeah, yeah, I, but, can, uh, I can imagine. We'll talk about it on the show, but as far as comedy, if you've ever watched, you know, Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm or Saturday Night Live or uh, uh, Veep, you know, if any of these things have ever made you laugh, most likely the person we're about to talk to uh, either wrote the joke or was there when the joke was written yeah. or hired the guy who was writing that joke. Right. <laughs> ultimately responsible. <laughs> yes, ultimately responsible. So this is a really exciting interview. Uh, you know, we do apologize a little bit for the sound quality, but the thing is we're getting such great stuff. Um, Steve is also going to be editing this show. That's going to be a Kivecast first. Yeah. So uh, I want you guys to, to send him emails and say, did Steve do a better job of editing the show? <laughs> Why do we even need Sky? <laughs> and Steve, I have to say, discretion is the better part of Valor. Um, between him and I, we both like to, we both like to talk, and, and poor Steve doesn't get much of a word in edgewise. <laughs> See, this, this is <laughs> my, my whole like uh, goal, I think, with this specifically was to just make sure it, it happened <laughs> however i could do it right. uh, i knew that i knew right. that i wouldn't have to say yeah. much all i needed to do was make sure i could get you guys both on the line at the same time and then i, I felt like my job was done so any anything else right. is just just a bonus and you you were the one who was hitting record and so anyway this is this is a very exciting episode hopefully i will have a new computer uh the next episode of the show is recorded it's ready to go. I just don't have a computer to edit it on or to upload it. We're going to really require Lobart's help to get this thing out here. And I will be releasing an enhanced version of this episode on the YouTube channel soon. Um, I, I actually don't know how I'm going to do it because when I get a new computer, that functionality is kind of old-fashioned. Ah. But uh, that will be up there and you get to see all the pictures. But until then, Steve is going to do an amazing job. Uh, making the blog posts, doing screenshots from all the different episodes that we're talking about, and just really making sure that you have a good visual. Uh, so definitely hit up our blog. Yes. Listening to this uh, directly to your iTunes feed. Go to the SWCA.com and uh, find the blog post. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Steve. All right. Without, without further ado, don't get ready to listen to what is one of my absolute highlights of uh, recording this show. Uh, yeah, I, as I like to call it, uh, Sky and Steve's. David Mandel, Explosion. <laughs> All right, so it's, it's pretty rare on this show that we, uh, we have uh, showbiz luminaries on, uh, but today we have one of the primary forces behind Veep, a writer of a Simpsons Halloween segment, director of The Dictator, creator of Man Hands, and most importantly, he is a Star Wars super collector who was featured on Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest, uh, we've been trying to get him on. He's been very busy uh, helping to, uh, I guess, win like a thousand Emmys. Uh, so we're very excited to have on David Mandel. How's it going, David? Uh, I am good. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Sorry it took so long. Well, it's okay. I mean, saying, you know, I have to run a TV show, that's a pretty good excuse. And usually we <laughs> get like, uh, my wife wanted to go on a date. Well, then, uh, then I'm glad I had a good excuse. Perfect. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun to, to, to watch the episode. So this is kind of the second part. We interviewed Scott Kinney um, to talk about the episode that featured yourself and, uh, and Steve. Um, sure. And so we, we, we want to end up there. But I figure we should maybe have a, a larger talk about sort of how did, how did you start collecting Star Wars? Because, you know, you've been around 
for a long time collecting. Uh, sort of, how did it get started for you in the in the world of collecting? Um, probably not that different from you know anybody else in the sense that uh, I was born in 1970, so I was seven years old in 77. You know, could not wait for the toys to come out. Uh, I bought them and opened them. There was no sense of any of like I had no sense of collecting, but I was a collector of other things. Even though I was opening my Star Wars toys, I I had a you know a comic book collection, a little bit of baseball cards. So collecting was something I was interested in. It just didn't make any sense to me that you wouldn't play with your toys. Um, and right. so, you know, I, I kind of bought Star Wars toys and, you know, was lucky enough to get them for, you know, various, you know, birthdays and Hanukkah and Christmas, you know, any holiday I could celebrate and get a gift for. Um, and, uh, you know, probably went through all of Star Wars, all of Empire, and then a little bit into Jedi before I started to sort of vaguely feel like I shouldn't be getting toys for my birthday kind of a thing. Um and then right. sort of happily went off to college and all that kind of stuff, but started to, because I was still reading comic books, reading a lot of like comic book magazines or sci-fi magazines like Starlog and whatnot, I started to become aware that the stuff was collectible, you know, that people were collecting them. Again, not from any sense of like, oh my God, this will be a financial windfall, just that people were doing it. Yeah. Um, and I guess right. the easiest way of putting it is um, – you know, I graduated from school. I started writing comedy. And in 95, I moved out to Los Angeles. And when I moved out to Los Angeles, I was I was lucky enough. I was working for the uh, the Seinfeld show. And that got me very close to San Diego Comic-Con. And I started going to San Diego Comic-Con. And basically at that point, I was single, living in a rental apartment, driving a leased car with sort of an an off phase of my on-again, off-again girlfriend. And so we were working tremendously um, on Seinfeld. We would work like, you know, 45 days in a row and then take a day off. Um, And I started sort of going after the things at that point I started thinking to myself like wouldn't it be fun to have a set of 12 backs and again that was just sort of a an idea at that moment of to have 12 backs and then you start to go well wait a second should they be punched or unpunched and then you start to learn oh there's variations and there's variables oh I didn't have that I didn't have a vinyl cape Jawa oh but I did have you know I'm pretty sure I had the small head Han Solo. So you start to you start to like learn and also sort of see more and more stuff. And so right around in '95, I bought like a lot of the things that I always wanted to have, like a set of twelve backs, um, a copy of Giant Size X Men One, just like the things that were sort of on my list of the things that I'd always, like I said, wanted to have. And I was definitely always kind of a I don't know what the word is. I was sort of around Star Wars with my collecting because I started collecting original comic book art and have a lot of Star Wars stuff there. Um, I started later in the 90s getting into original uh, movie props, very heavy on Star Wars, original movie art, heavy on Star Wars. And the toys were sort of always kind of around, and I would kind of dip in and out. And every time I kind of came back, I was definitely very aware that things had sort of progressed a little further, both price-wise, but also 
knowledge-wise, meaning more of the variations were being charted. It was now possible to go, oh, here's every packaging variation with the offers and whatnot, stuff that was not perhaps as readily available, you know, in the early 90s, at least to me, not doing a lot of deep digging. So as I each time I kind of came back, I was exposed to more and more. And, you know, I definitely sort of acquired somewhere in there. I basically bought, you know, you know, or I should say in pieces, but pieced together, um, you know, basically a full set of the toys, at least the ones that I guess for me, I always wanted the offerless one. I I wanted them the way I saw them on in the toy store, if that makes sense, meaning chronologically speaking. Um, So I didn't worry about. Luke on later cards because I had farm boy Luke on a star Wars card. That's how I bought him. So it was a very specific collection to, I guess for lack of a better word, what I had as a kid, which again, I think is how a lot of people sort of start. And then over the years, I filled in other things and, you know, different ones and, you know, even like power of the force stuff that I never had as a kid and didn't really, and even now today, maybe don't a hundred percent really care about quite honestly. I'm <laughs> I'm to say that, but such as it is. But somewhere in there, along with the props and all this stuff, I also started to get very into the idea, at least of the knowledge of like the pre-production stuff and the prototypes and that kind of stuff. And again, it was as more knowledge kind of came out that I got more fascinated by it. Um, and so somewhere along the way, a couple of years ago, I kind of landed on at least in an effort to like not basically go broke. Um, that I sort of would kind of, you know, try and do what a lot of people do, which is sort of focus a little bit. Um, and sort of, I guess, the two areas of my focus have been, I guess, as a character, uh, I'm pretty heavy on Chewbacca for a couple of different reasons. Um, one, and I know we're going to get to this story later, um, at Celebration yeah. 2, I picked up the uh, I, the action figure photo art to Chewbacca um, from uh, Cloud City Collectibles back then. Um, so that years later, when I started digging more into sort of prototypes and proof cards and whatnot, having had sort of a key Chewbacca item, plus some really great Chewbacca stuff in my art and prop collection, there was a certain logic to it, if that if that makes any sense, of like, keep going with Chewbacca. I have one of the hard ones, I have the hardest one to get, maybe, and at least I can fill forward, plus it goes with some of my other stuff. Um and then I'm also very interested and intrigued by all the various sort of uh, bootlegs and stuff. Um, and like anything else with, I think, both the, the prototypes and the, the, the bootlegs, I guess I'm, I'm interested in it's, it's, it's like I can kind of diagnose the insanity. I'm interested in things that if you, I guess, go to another collector's house, you're not going to see the same 10 things. You know what I mean? Like, I'm far more interested in the $7 weird, like, bootleg, like, blow plastic, like, bizarre Darth Vader with fangs, you know, and (laughs) weird cloth cape that, yeah, I'm not saying it's a a unique discovery. Other people, a couple people may have it, but it's kind of weird and interesting and cool to me as opposed to the 400th, you know, blank back Vader, blankety blank, 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 if that makes any sense. Or at least that's how I've analyzed it to myself. Um, so yeah. that's kind well, of where... You, you, you have to come out to, to Rochester, and uh, I'll, I'll show you a whole bunch of goofy Chewbacca stuff that no, you won't I know, believe I know. exists. 
No, it's, like, been, uh, it's been really the, fun. The, sort the best of. one I have is, a, is it's a Halloween uh, card for teachers to show up to their students what trick-or-treating is, and it's a woman wearing a Chewbacca mask giving candy uh-huh. to a devil from, like, 1979. And that's, like, one of my most prized items, and it's, like, that that's is a Chewbacca incredible. thing. If your teacher does not know what Halloween is, you have larger issues, I think. That's <laughs> That's true. One of the things about sort of focusing a little bit is it's been fun seeing, I guess, obviously what other people focus on. And then obviously people like yourself where I've seen, you know, one or two, you know, when whenever you post a photo or something, it's like, oh, that's cool. And, you know, it gives you, you know, I used to always joke every time Sansweet published a book, it gave me a couple of things to hunt for that I didn't know existed. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I guess I'm always interested sort of in learning and seeing stuff and it helps me kind of create i guess collecting goals of some sort so somewhere in there is a crazy answer no it's it's a great answer and i what i love uh, is that i'm also i mean i'm somewhat of a comedy nerd as well so i love that i can hear a story i was writing on seinfeld in 1995 and then meanwhile, I'm thinking, how much did he get those tollbacks for? Like, what I'm really interested in is, like, what was it like trying to buy vintage at Comic-Con in 95? You know, you put well, the rest I mean, of the stuff aside. I mean, that's the, the, the only good thing I can say, as much as, you know, we're all paying nowadays for whatever it is we're looking for individually, or even like... Uh, you know, what a piece of photo art is going for now. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the numbers are, you know, you know, baffling and staggering. Um, you know, yeah. the, the things that, you know, I think we can all do this, the stuff that I look back into the, you know, the pre 2000, all of that stuff, which didn't seem cheap at the time, seems like a bargain now. You know, for me, it's always been about sort of the nostalgia itch and buying you know, what I like that that's, you know, you sort of, the, you can't go wrong. You know what I mean? Like when you do it that way, but yeah, no, I mean, I should have bought seven sets, all that, but I you know, <laughs> yeah. didn't, but so be it, you know, it is what it is. I wasn't buying them other than for me, you know, that's all stuff. One day my children can sell when I'm dead. So that's the main reason I bought it. So yeah. Well, well awesome. I, I think one of, you know, speaking of kind of conventions, um, you know, we, we met a couple of times at Celebration 8, but my favorite time, David, was when there reaches a point in every convention where you have to basically give up on life and just sit down in the horrible food court. And, uh, and so Steve and I sat down and we were eating that thing they called pizza, which really wasn't pizza. No, not and really. we look over like, like, hey, look, it's David. Let's go over and say hi. And I no, know I, I, I literally, I had, I, had, I, I had reached that point of, yeah, I need to sit and I'm going to and I'm going to eat something and I'm going to try and pick what pro, what hopefully will not kill me because I have a great fear of having to use a bathroom on an airplane. So that was my sort of thought was I'm flying out the next day what's going to not make me go to a bathroom on an airplane? Um, but uh, and it was like sort of like almost like I don't even remember I feel like it was like 3 or 4 o'clock it was sort of late it was like yeah. it was the the food area was sort of shutting down and yeah. the serving. It seemed very unsure about what they were doing. So it was a perfect <laughs> time to run into you guys. Um, and it was hilarious because yeah. you had reminded me, I think I told you this, I had had no memory of the last Jedi thing, which was hilarious. Um, uh, sort of hard to explain. Right, so we'll, we'll, yeah. 
that we'll 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 get to that. But yeah, I, I that, that'll be a, a big a big part of the upcoming story. But the other part for for me, David, was I did kind of a comedy thing during one of Steve's panels. So Steve right. did a panel, and I did this sort of intervention I, thing. It was like an Andy Kaufman esque attempt. Yep. But uh, how did it able go? To say like, oh, it's a tough room. Yeah, because I, I got to say, I tried a couple of jokes during the uh, original prop collecting panel, and uh, it was a lot of sort of that sort of I don't even know how to explain it except that sort of that stunned staring look about like, <laughs> are, are you joking? I don't, I don't understand. It was like a, it was like a bad date. Like the sort of, I don't understand. <laughs> yes. And then you're just kind of like, Oh God, how quickly can I pay for dinner and get this girl home? But anyway, that was my, my version of what went on at comic, uh, at, uh, at celebration. But yeah, please go ahead. Oh, well, well, I mean, it, it was funny because, you know, because I was playing a character who I thought everybody would know I was playing a character, but <laughs> nope. most of the people who were there nope. were just there nope. to get the star talk. Um, so, so people were like really mad at me and like screaming, like, get him out. And right. like trying to call <laughs> We're security. delaying the star talk. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I have to say, I felt, so, I felt so much pressure, like secondhand pressure <laughs> for you, Sky, <laughs> that whole time. It yeah. was just, that was a, that was a brave thing you did. No, it's. I'll tell you this, and if this, uh, I hope, and God bless you for trying. And uh, you know, if you want to try something with me at the next one, I'm game. But I will tell you, it's like, uh, you know, often I'll give like a toast at weddings, and it's one thing when I give a toast at like another comedy writer's wedding kind of a thing, but every now and then I give one at like a like a I don't know like a high school friend's wedding basically, and what ends up happening is, you know. The, even the people who don't know me, the word gets out like, here's a guy that writes for Veep or Curb or Seinfeld. So needless to say, expectations right. are through the roof. Um, <laughs> and then I get out there and I do my thing, which is my thing, and it's just, you know, crickets. If I'm lucky, the groom and the bride are laughing. <laughs> that's about it. And maybe one or two of my really good friends. Um, and then one of my other friends will get up and say something about, like, we were from New York. He'll say something about the Yankees winning the World Series because this couple got married. And he blows the roof off the place. Everyone's <laughs> laughing hysterically. He should be the comedy writer. And it just I just want to kill myself. I literally want to stick a gun in my mouth. And just, <laughs> so I feel your, uh, yeah. I feel your celebration pain. But uh, I'm game for next celebration. You want to try All right, well, comedy, or we maybe we we say it's a comedy Star Wars panel, and so we force them in with the knowledge of hey, it's comedy, you idiots. But anyway. Right. Well, I, I I like that idea, and we can uh, we can talk about whether or not Jasper Nixon Nixon that's the name of the character, whether or not he should be resurrected. I, I, I will say I believe they should be, they should be forced to see Jasper Nixon as much as possible. That's my feeling. Yes. Well, I. I I, I'll t I will take your advice, and I think it's officially done now. Uh, the people who liked it loved it. Yes. And the people who didn't get it were just like, who's that weirdo? Right. Um, which, which actually segues pretty well, I think, into the next area that I want to go, um, which is, okay, so we're eventually going to get to the Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest, which, sure. which ends with you holding on to two rocket-firing Boba Fetts. Yes. But – when I was getting ready to interview you, I, I, was, I remembered something that I'd seen a long time ago. So in addition to your long list of TV shows that everybody's heard of, uh -huh. there's a show that you did 
that I don't understand what the distribution method was. It's all on YouTube now. Right. But it's a it show called uh, Dave and Steve's Video Game Explosion. Can you please explain to our yes. audience what the show I'm gonna, was? I'm going to give you the quickest version I can. There was an idea that proved to be completely wrong, which was okay. that you could start a network based solely on content but not real estate. Real estate meaning you have a channel on the dial. The idea was these people got together and had this idea for Burley Television, they called it, or Burley Bear at one point. And it, was, it came out of college television. The idea was we'll make a bunch of shows and then their college stations all over the, the country, we'll, they need programming, we'll sell them these shows. So that was the idea. There'll never be an actual single channel, but we'll make these shows and distribute them. And it was completely ass backwards. It was completely wrong. If they had found a way to get a channel back then, they'd all be billionaires because channels are where it's, the money is worth. You know, that's where the money is. Um, and the distribution was nothing. You were, it was just nothing. But anyway, so they, someone created this thing. And somewhere along the way, and it may have had something to do with SNL reruns. I was a Saturday Night Live writer. It was my first job or my, my first real job uh, out of college. Um, and I worked there for three years from uh, 92 to 95, which was sort of uh, the heyday of uh, Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman into uh, Farley, Sandler, Spade, and those guys. So 92 to 95. And basically somewhere in uh, the Burley run there, Lorne Michaels invested in it, um, and he was pretty smart about this, which was he couldn't basically hire me or any of my writer friends to write on the show. They had no budget for writing, but his idea was, why don't I give basically Dave Mandel and his friend Steve Luckner a show, and then they'll basically write their own stuff, which is, you know, how we'll get around the writing thing, basically. Um and I'm sure there's somewhere in there there was sort of a sense that we were pretty nerdy anyway, so maybe it was a backhanded compliment. So my friend Steve Luckner and I, and Steve was also a SNL writer as well, and we'd gone to school together. We hosted this show called Dave and Steve's Video Game Explosion, which was ostensibly about reviewing uh, uh, video games, but it was really anything we wanted it to be because, again, we were just doing what we thought was funny, and we got, you know, basically someone was giving us cameras and you know 22 minutes to fill what ended up happening was they started buying infomercial time on i think it was tbs or tnt i actually can't even remember now i think it was tbs at about one in the morning and so instead of airing an infomercial they would play an hour of burly tv programming on tbs at one in the morning as if it was regular shows except it was never in the listings oh. because it was always listed like it was an infomercial. So anyway, this was their attempt at this thing. But anyway, we had the show and we were always looking for silly and fun things to do. And because I was such a Star Wars fan, I came up with this idea of convincing them to fly us to Indianapolis for Celebration 2, ostensibly to... Uh, interview like LucasArts video game people and to talk about Star Wars video games but really so that I could go there and buy Star Wars stuff which is a joke <laughs> that we make in the show. Part of the theme of the show right. is 
that the whole episode is sort of a boondoggle and that we're tricking Burley into us being there. And there's weird, funny, weird jokes that, again, I'm sure would play to a lot of silence of us ordering food from room service and then just dumping it right in the garbage because we can, because it's Burley's money right. and they're not, they don't know what we're up to. So that's, I, that's, I hope that explains something. But anyway, that's how we got to uh, Celebration and then just kind of started filming, for lack of a better word, you know, kind of what any talk show host would kind of do, which was just, we just kind of walked the floor. We did talk to the video game people, but we also just started interviewing anybody that would talk to us, you know, people selling stuff, people buying stuff, and lots and lots of people in costumes. And obviously just then cut the right. stuff together in funny ways, and we were just doing things that, like, you know, made us laugh, basically. So among the things, for example, were uh, every time we ran into a, a girl in a stormtrooper costume, we just kept saying, you're Princess Leia in a stormtrooper costume, which just made <laughs> anger and anger and angrier. Another one that we would constantly do was, it, do you think it's fair that female stormtroopers only get paid 78% of what male stormtroopers do? There are things like this. Basically, your average Star Wars fan was not prepared to answer, but it cut together in a pretty funny kind of, uh, you know, like, you know, remote desk piece on like a, you know, a good like Letterman or Conan show or something like that. So we had a, yeah, lot, of fun, yeah. a lot of footage and just did whatever we wanted to do. So that's sort of the, 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 the background. Well, I think, I mean, I, I really suggest, I mean, I, I give a lot of suggestions about funny things to watch. I mean, I've watched, they're all on YouTube, all the episodes. And it's funny because really what you guys were doing <laughs> is exactly what YouTube is. Yes. It's like the number we one channel is all we, about video games. We were too early. If we had been a yeah. little later and just done it like on YouTube, we'd probably have like a lot of subscribers. And, you know, once once a year, someone, you know, finds us to talk about it. But it was this weird thing of like we tried this burly thing and it just didn't work. Um, but the funny thing was they kept trying. And even after we weren't there – they then tried to like recast us, which really made us laugh. They were like trying to find <laughs> other people. But again, going back to Lauren's original idea, I don't think either of us is born to be on television, but you know, obviously we're really funny writers. So, you know, you, you know, that, that's what made it in a perfect world, different and funny, I hope. So anyway. Yeah, it's definitely worth going back to, but obviously the episodes we're most interested in, uh, our episodes 11 and 12, which I yes. don't think were ever released. Is that right? Well, and we edited them and then Burley sort of fell into like, they got bought by somebody and Lauren, I think was done with them. And, um, and then it just never, it never quite coalesced into anything. So we did, I don't even know if we really truly finished editing them. We got pretty close to finishing editing them. And then we put them up um, as sort of a special two-parter in the early days of YouTube, just for fun, for us, basically. You know, we just wanted to do right. it. So, yeah. The shows are fun, but the Star Wars ones, if you're into Star Wars, there's, I mean, if I say so myself, there's some good jokes in there, honestly. There's lots of good jokes, and there's tons of stuff for vintage collectors. So I'm just going to go through uh, both episodes and kind of hit on the most important points. Sure. I mean, um, for, for episode 11, first of all, definitely the highest amount of Taliban jokes you can have in a Star Wars comedy show. Um, I also like that you, you trolled the Lego people. You just kept on going on and on about 
the Danish uh, participation with the Nazis. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't think you could do that anymore with how successful Lego is, but that was very <laughs> funny. We would do it anyway. And, um, and then you ended up at the Hollywood Heroes booth with Jordan Hembro. Yep. And I don't know if you remember this, but you actually um, are, are handling an unproduced mock-up of the Lando Empire Strikes Back figure. Right, that's so this the is one of the most important the... things there. This is the rarest thing in this whole hall, would you say? Currently it is, yes. Would Dave. you say it's also the most racist thing in the whole hall? Currently, yes, it is, Dave. That's the Parker Stevenson one, right, with, like, blackface? Is that? Am I remembering this sort of correctly? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah ex exactly. It's a so hard boy's a... painted black, or basically blackface. Um and I can't remember, I'm trying to remember, and I haven't watched it in a while, do I try and buy it, or will he not sell it, or is it a crazy price? Um, well, that's why I would love you to release the unedited footage, because <laughs> there's no point where you try to buy it. I think that's Jordan not wanting to put a price on it, and not me not wanting to buy it. So I'm going to put that one on Jordan. Uh, you know how he sometimes is with no price kind of thing? Yes, and, and especially when he has buyers in mind. And right. I, I was talking about it with, with Ron earlier. I think I figured out where that one actually went. And we were trying to figure out, I was like, did David buy it? Because if you bought it, then no, I did, I it would did sort not of not make it. sense. My memory is, for whatever reason, as we're sitting here and sort of bits and pieces are coming back, it, it was, I, I mean, I just, in my mind, he never gave me a price. Or if he did whatever that number was at that time, it was baffling to me. And again, probably if, if there was a number, I should have bought it. But no, I never owned that piece. Never owned it. Yeah. Well, th that's just an example of a really great thing in this. You know, 2002, I mean, most of our listeners have been collecting for you know, <laughs> maybe five years. And, right. and just to think about such a great piece of unproduced vintage history, and it's right here in the middle of this kind of anarchy talk show uh it's it's really awesome no um, and then you then go on to tell i was just saying my memory of that show in general was and obviously loads of things have come out since then but like with jordan's booth and then cloud city there were still a lot of things that you would consider very rare nowadays that existed in multiple decent examples in 2002 if that yeah. makes sense because like even with the photo art, which we'll get to, there were other choices. Chewbacca was probably the best one he had, but I should have bought the other seven. You know what I mean? The fact that there were right. the fact that there were seven pieces of photo art, and I just didn't get them because one of them was you know like Bespin pilot, and I didn't think that was you know exciting. But you know, of course, to go back in time, I would buy it in a second. Do you know what I mean? But anyway, yeah. Well, I mean that that's in this episode, so. It's it's great because he he gives you the price and he says it's thirty five hundred, um, which of course is you know awesome. missing at least one zero now. Yep. Um, if and, we're lucky, if we're and, lucky, uh, zero. When you bought the original figure of Chewbacca, this was on the this is the card art. This is what they shot. The picture you see here is the wow. the one and only original picture uh, used on. Chewbacca. This picture brings back so many memories. This is for so me. cool. Uh, what does something like this run? Uh, th this piece is $3,500. $3,500? $3,500. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and then you just start, like, throwing down 20s on, on, the, on the table. And it's a really exciting. It's like 
as a Chewbacca collector, you have to understand that like I was trying to track down where this went. I was told that it was sold to somebody in France. I was told that he was willing to sell it for 20,000 back at celebration three. And I'm now realizing like none of that was true, right? Because you've owned it continuously. It, it has never left me. Huh. me. Yeah. Okay, and you never were planning on selling it for twenty thousand. Nope. Never. never. Okay. So anyway, yeah. I, the good news <laughs> is the guy who likes me about that always lies to me, so everything makes sense. At least he's. <laughs> I least think you know. Consistent. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about, Steve. So, <laughs> um, I, I, as a Chewbacca collector. Like seeing, like literally, like if, if I had to choose between uh, Gus's, um, you know, wax sculpt torso or that, I would go for that instantly. I mean, that is absolutely my number one grail. The thing I think is the coolest thing out there. So it's really funny and frustrating to see the thing that you want most in the entire world as it's being purchased on a comedy TV show. You know, it's. Uh, well, it was a comedy TV show, but I will say. Uh, and I'm sorry. I, I should apologize. I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> oh, no worries. The uh, the joy and the collecting part has nothing to do with the comedy. That's all real. And in some ways, that was, I guess, if you could argue, that was the show that I really wanted to be doing, which is just sort of you know a show following me around, looking at cool collectibles. That would have been the real dream. That of course no one ever really wanted. I not that I tried hard, but that was the dream show. But that was me really in some ways, and I think you get this on the camera, that was me sort of probably not discovering it for the first time because probably off camera we had gone over to a range coming over to talk to Tom, you know, at Cloud City. So I was like, I want to see some high-end cool stuff, and he was making suggestions and pulled that out. So that was probably when I saw it the first time. Um, but the for me, that was – for David Mandel, the collector, not the comedy show part of it, that was the first time I had ever sort of known or seen the photo art in general. And so that was a visceral reaction to how cool it was with the, 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 all the airbrushing and all the stuff on it, um, you know, and the fact that it was obviously Chewbacca, but also First 12 and all that stuff. So all of that's genuine within the sort of the fun of like, playing on camera a bit of an asshole who's just throwing down quote unquote $3,500 of Hollywood <laughs> money. You know what I mean? That was the joke part. Right. But, but the, the joy was genuine wherever that fits in. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, one of my favorite things is the beginning of that episode 11, you say straight to the camera, you know, I don't like video games, which <laughs> is just one of the, the best ways to, to set up the whole thing. You know, like I don't like video games. I'm here for the I'm here for the collectible, and and you know you shouldn't really apologize about the photo art because when I started collecting vintage for real about three two years after that, the second photo art was still available through Tom. Right. Yes. And yes, yes, I yes. remember seeing it. I remember seeing it on the Cloud City website and like not understanding that it was available because it was so cool and it was like maybe the third thing that I bought for my collection because I was like this shouldn't be for sale. Like I shouldn't, some schmuck like me should not have the ability to buy this because it's so cool. So it was kind of that same sort of feeling of just like, well, I better buy it because this is the coolest thing I've seen. And, and, and when you, when you talk about that joy, it does really come through. 
And of course, the irony is, if you had made that show, just following you around buying stuff, uh, I, I, I know they would have a huge audience now. No, exactly, exactly. And, you know, and, and look, obviously, you know, when we can get to the, 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 the Mark and Scott show and whatnot, I do think there's a, you know, and obviously Hembro, Jordan tried to do a version too. Um, I'm not quite sure personally, and I love both shows and watched both shows. Neither is how I would have done it myself. Do you know what I mean? But that's just me. But, uh, boy, it would have been fun to do. Anyway. Yeah. Well, you, you, you do have some pull in Hollywood, so you could, uh, you could, you could pull it off because, uh, <laughs> I think, I think there's, there's a market for it. It's funny, you know, it's like everyone's interested, but nobody wants to do it. It's one of those funny things. But anyway, yeah. go on. Right. And then the, the last bit, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier in episode 11, for some reason, you just decide to start, again, most of the episode is you trolling Star Wars fans or people working at the convention or everything, but you're, I mean, I don't even know if trolling is the right word for it. It's more like whatever. I, point, I will point out that the word, word trolling did not exist uh, <laughs> right. in yes. Um, I was doing my yeah. best. I was doing my best Letterman, such as it is. But anyway, go ahead. Right. <laughs> Trolling. Yes. Right. That, that's what I was going to say. You were lettermaning people, and so <laughs> one of the things you decided to do was tell them what episode three was going to be called. Yes. And you just said it's going to be called The Last Jedi. Have you heard the title of the third movie, the new movie? Yeah. Last Jedi. What do you think of that? Pretty cool. Yeah. The Last Jedi. I actually think it's kind of a cool title. It's called The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. Isn't that kind of cool? I didn't hear that. Where'd you hear that? Cool. I made it up. I was telling people. <laughs> I like it. Where did you come up with that? Why did you? I, that, what, it's so that funny because that's the thing that I was saying that I you had reminded me of. I did not remember that at all. Um, <laughs> and it's just clear it was a spur of the moment thing. I mean, honest to God, it was just uh, uh, an on an on your foot uh, or on your feet ad lib of some sort. Um, uh, I'm not even sure as memory serves. I don't, you know, we had certain things we wanted to do. We didn't actually, we, I was looking at the footage. We didn't even say it to that many people. It was something that we kind of like got just threw in at the end there. And I, I don't know how or why, but yeah, last Jedi, but boy, did that put a smile on my face when I, when you reminded me of it and I watched it again. Well, yeah, it was, I, I was happy to be able to, to remind you because I was, it was just, I was getting ready to record the show and I was like, oh, I've seen I've, I've seen this in excerpts before, and just watch it. Like, well, there it is, the, the Last Jedi. Um, and then the again the the joy that you have in collecting is apparent in the twelfth episode, where two separate times you say directly to the camera, "If you're selling old Star Wars toys or props, please email me." Yeah, um, <laughs> needless to say, uh, never one email, never one. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, that didn't work. I, I was wondering if you got anything from that. No, I like you didn't. never really aired. But even in its years of being on YouTube or whatever, no one. I'm. I'm still waiting. Uh, I'm still waiting. So no. <laughs> um, and then the the if you're watching this, you, there's parts of the 12th uh, episode where you actually talk about video games, and it's clear that you're very frustrated to have to be talking about towards video <laughs> games. Um, uh, but then it ends with a very famous event. Now this is something I'd heard a lot about. Yeah, um, this is the here. famous celebration to uh, uh, Rocket Fett. Steve, I don't know. Should we do this where he explains his experience of it, or I explain what it was like to watch it, or <laughs> what, what do you think? I think you should have both. But uh, <laughs> why don't we well, maybe start with how you perceived it, Sky? <laughs> okay. So yeah, I'm sort of fascinated. Watch... To know, I'm sort of fascinated to know 
what you had heard about it before you ever even saw it or like yeah. what like what reverberated through the community if i can use that word community but anyway go ahead <laughs> okay no definitely you can use the word community because okay so i'll describe it uh, i'll describe it briefly so uh david uh walks up to um it wasn't Tom Derby. I forget who was actually running it's the booth. Nyheisel. Nyheisel, I think. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. I think it's so, Tom's booth, but Nyheisel's the one there, for whatever right. I think. Yeah. Right. So just for the sake of historical accuracy, the person who saved all the photo art, that who ultimately who sold the photo art to David and to me, was Tom Nyheisel, so and, that's fine. And me. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, and Steve. That's right, because you have the, the B-Wing pilot art. I'm sorry, Steve, but... That's okay. It's it's pretty lame. It's still the beaming pilot. <laughs> no, um, I wish so, I would go on. <laughs> yeah. So he goes up and he starts talking about the rocket fat, and uh, and Tom has an L slot uh, rocket fat, and so David decides to do something funny where he pretends to choke on the missile, and so what I had heard was that there was this thing at Celebration Two where some guy pretended to choke on a missile and got into a fight. And <laughs> that was more or less what happened. So uh, David pretends to choke on the missile. And then uh, Steve is like, you know, someone please help. And he definitely screamed, please help loud enough that if I was in the area, I would have been like, oh boy, I better help out. Um, and then they kept the cameras rolling. And there's this guy in an imperial, uh, in an imperial officer who has this kind of weird sort of high voice. And he just says, I tried to write down, you were trying to get some attention, and now you've gotten everybody mad. Well, you certainly were trying to do it, some, get some attention, and you got it, and now you got everybody mad. <laughs> and, and he starts like this back and forth roast battle with, with, with David, which is obviously not a great plan. And... Uh, <laughs> And the coolest thing for listeners of this show is that in that clip, you can see Chris Jorgulius, a, well, I mean, he never ages, but a younger Chris Jorgulius. Yeah, he, yeah, um, and he exactly tries the to, same. Yeah, he tries to diffuse the situation. We're taking that out of context. They knew, if we would have been watching them film, everybody would have known. Have I ever mentioned, Steve, that Christian Gullius is like that guy on Lost who never gets old? Okay. Um, <laughs> and then also Ron, Ron Salvatore is in the picture as well, and he's kind of trying to hide from the camera. And so I'd always heard the story from him. I think James Gallo is there as well. Yeah, Chris Nichols um, is in there just, too. Oh, yeah, Chris Nichols. So a lot of people who have been on the show before. So that was sort of my experience and how I, I'd heard it reverberate. Did you – what was it like for you, David? I mean, to me it was, dare I say – the only thing we thought about, or I guess the only thing I was thinking about was maybe to not do it, was was it too obvious? Had someone done it? But in my mind, it was sort of like, well, no, nobody's doing collectible gags. You know what I mean? Like, so to me, right. it was sort of, oh, I'm going to get be the first guy to choke on a rocket firing Boba Fett. Like, I'll do, I'm going to do the joke. So I do it. I go down. Whatever. And mind you, we've got. I think we have two cameras. We definitely have two cameras. So there's two cameras pointed at us, and we have a small crowd around us. And I will simply say for the record that while I guess you can argue if you hear, like, help, help us and come running over, and maybe you're in sort of a, you know, like some kind of adrenaline kind of like, I'm going to save someone, you don't notice everything that's going on. 
to me, it was pretty darn clear that a TV thing was being, you know, filmed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I guess I was bo- I was somewhat shocked when this guy sort of got so angry. And then he was also somewhat clearly, I think, embarrassed a little bit because he starts talking about how, like, someone in his family died of a heart attack. So he's extra sensitive to heart attacks. And I and I and I remember angrily thanking him like, well, thank you for thinking of me. If I had a heart attack, I'd want you to save me. But it was just so bizarre because we were doing a comedy bit and everybody else that was standing there was in on the bit. And dare I say, really laughing at it. And, and, you know, and everyone knew what we were doing. So, you know, again, it's sort of like, I guess it's the worst version of your, uh, your celebration audience when you're trying a bit, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, beware yeah. comedy celebration, but uh, it was just, it was so funny. got everybody mad. Yeah. The guy, there was something about his affectation and being dressed in the Imperial sort of uniform. It was sort of like, almost like a, like a Mel Brooks kind of, sort of vaguely effeminate Nazi kind of thing. It just it was really it made, it made me laugh so much arguing with this guy because he's t- yet telling me that I'm wrong, but he's the one dressed in a costume. Do you know what I mean? It was like it was that. <laughs> yeah. so it was just very hard for me not to laugh in his face. But at the same time I knew we were filming and I was like, well, I gotta see where this goes. So you know <laughs> but uh yeah, it was boy, it was fun though. <laughs> and was, were you holding on? Were you actually holding on to the rocket fed? I think I put the fet down when I went down. My biggest concern was, I believe it was an actual real missile, and I was very worried about because it was so small. I don't remember. I think I like it missed me, and I pretend to choke on it, and right. I was concerned that it was on the ground somewhere. You know what I mean? And that, you know, is someone going to take the missile? Because obviously there was, you know, again, not like what it is today, but that there was value in the missile itself. So I would, that was my, my chief collectible concern because I put the figure down, I think, was just, oh, my God, where's the missile? Where's the missile? But anyway, as I was yelling with uh, Imperial officer or whatever. Uh, <laughs> well, so, so you actually did you actually did shoot it. I mean, you could have theoretically actually choked on it. I guess so, although the truth of the matter is, as has much been discussed, they don't really shoot that far. You know what right, I mean? It's, right. it's, kind of a, it's kind of a dribble shot. You know, unless someone goes in and replaces the spring or one of the springs on, you know, some of those, you know, you know, whatever you want to call them, repros or later versions or whatever you want to call the whatever, where the, where the springs were springier, it really, I guess, let me simply say, a baby who put it right next to their mouth and then shot it into the deeper in their mouth, it's really you'd be swallowing it as, and you'd be a baby. But the idea that you'd be holding it, you know, I'll simply say near your belly button and that it could shoot any higher, you know, than your chest is bullshit. It really didn't shoot anywhere, quite honestly. It kind of it just kind of like a like a North Korean missile, kind of like a you know what I mean? Like it doesn't really go <laughs> So yeah, I, mean, I, I guess most pe- most people haven't had a chance to shoot one. So no, and by the way, at the time, yeah, did, as someone who didn't own one at the time, that was again, you know, collecting joy. You know what I mean? Again, why we were there to do stuff like that. Right, and that and that my, my segues are pulling are pulling through, Steve. I'm very excited. Yeah, about so this. far you're you're, so, you're hanging in there. <laughs> 
So, so that, that takes us to Mark Hamill's pop culture quest. Yeah. So the, the episode is set up where he's trying to find a real rocket firing fet. And for some reason, the first place he goes is, is Steve's house, um, <laughs> which I could have, I, Mark could have called me. I could have told him Mark that Steve does not have a, a rocket fet. Um, no. But obviously that was the, the conceit of the show is to see right. how rare it was and, and and uh, so we, we covered that a fair amount with Steve, and then all, then you Steve in the show tell him to go visit with David. So so tell us a little bit about was that the did you buy the fet at the show that you show off to Mark? No, I did not. I uh, I got the fet years later. Um, uh, I, I I'm trying to remember at the time. I don't know if I, boy, I truly don't remember if I, if it was for sale or if I asked or whatever, but I certainly, I think my, the, the Chewbacca was my big purchase. There were a lot of other little purchases, but Chewbacca was my big, you know, probably at that point I had not spent 3,500 in one moment on a collectible. You know what I mean? At the time that was a healthy number. Um, so no, I, well, well, actually what, what he says, Nyheisel says, there's a waiting list at twenty thousand. Right, that's what he said for the for the rocket set. Which I think, I mean, I don't know what they sell for now, but I don't think is it that far. I, I don't know what they sell for now. I thought they were still around twenty, but maybe I'm off. Uh, I think they're unfortunately higher. Um, there is some differential between the two different types. You know, the uh, the J and the L, and one is definitely right. I think the. I, always, I you know I feel bad now. I feel like it's the J that's going higher these days. But yeah, it is going higher. Okay, that yes. wasn't the one I, that I you did bought. Not, I did you not only buy the photo art. Yes, that was my big purchase. And like I said, some other odds and ends. I'm sure. Um, you know, things like again, things that I was interested in. Also, like uh, I think I picked up at that show one of the uh, the Star Wars crew gifts, the Lucite stars. Have you guys ever seen right. things? The paper? yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So things like that that were more f- sort of, again, back in that day, were a little bit more common, now not so much, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. So I, then- I, that would have been 2002. You know, a couple of years later, I think I grabbed my first one, um, and I think it was through Tom uh, Derby, not Nyheisel, and then I picked up another one at some point or another through uh, – which actually is a third one that was not uh, any of the ones that I showed you. Uh, Brian Rackfell. I bought one from him. Oh, yeah. That's a third one. I'm sorry, that's that, that I didn't show. And then uh, a San Diego, not this San Diego, maybe last, I think last San Diego, uh, uh, Mark uh, Huckabone uh, was selling one for a collector, and I picked that one up um, from a guy who's here on the West Coast. Um, and so that was one of the two I showed off. I tried to purposely bring a J and an L to sort of show Mark, I guess. That was my sort of attempt at, uh, educating, I guess. Well, it's, it's great because in the episode, there's this tension that, that builds for collectors because initially they say, oh yes, somebody choked on the Boba Fett and all the Star Wars fans like, oh, they better... Oh, they better say that it was actually Battlestar Galactica. And, <laughs> and, and like you show up and then you, you know, set everybody straight. And it's like there's this feeling that at least I had where I was really afraid that the show was going to disseminate misinformation. But the point was it was building up this sense of sort of mystery and is it going to ever be resolved? 
and then it's resolved and you're able to actually tell the whole story. Um, you know, it's funny. I, so thought it, I, yeah. I, I thought it cut together really well. We definitely, uh, you know, I know Mark a little bit, I guess, sort of socially, for lack of any better word. Um, I met him, got to meet him a couple of years ago through uh, through uh, uh, Kevin Smith and through Paul Dini, the, uh, uh, one of the uh, yeah. big animated great, series, yeah. exactly, Batman, Superman animated series, uh, and a very good friend. And so got to have lunch with Mark and kind of got to know him a little bit. Um and, you know, just certainly, uh, you know, just, you know, in, I obviously he is Luke Skywalker and that's certainly really cool. But he's also and, and I, I think this comes through in the show from time to time. He is one of the all time great like raconteurs. I mean, he is a just amazing storyteller, just 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 incredible. Um, and yes, he can do voices and all of that kind of stuff, which only can add to the story and set the mood, you know. But even when he's not doing a voice, he's just a great storyteller. So I've always sort of enjoyed, for lack of a better word, his company. Um, so they kind of, you know, I had been talking to these guys through a couple of different ways about doing some stuff. And we were talking about movie props and a whole bunch of things. And then it just seemed like it became easier for me. Instead of I didn't really want people coming to me for me to just come to them. So that's kind of that was the, the lesser evil for me was to go to them. Um, and it was really fun, but like I said, we talked a whole bunch and they kind of, you know, extracted what they need obviously to build the episode. Uh, but I was glad I sort of didn't sound like an idiot. So I was very happy about that. Well, it's funny what you say that I, I mentioned that to, to Scott when we talked to him, like, I don't know how you can make Mark Hamill seem cooler, but that, that show makes him seem even cooler than he already was to me which I didn't think was possible. I mean, he's genuinely um, interested. I, and even when he doesn't necessarily, you know, know, he knows a little bit. Do you know what I mean? He, yeah, right. He has a collector's soul. He happens to be Luke Skywalker, but he has a collector's soul. And he's also a great, a big, big, big comedy nerd. So for those reasons alone, I, I, I just, you know, I love the guy. Um, and I could talk to him probably forever about anything. Um, and so, you know, again, it, they make it quite easy. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it was a great show. I wish they did more. Now, so you, you basically sat there and talked to him for a long time. So the, the things that you showed off were the, the rocket fets, and that was, like, your ability to sort of tell everybody what they really were. Sure. Um, and then there was some comic art as yeah. well, right? That was Yeah, the, I, uh, I, I the, owned uh, the Star Wars 1, the Marvel Comics um, Star Wars 1 cover, um, and I pulled that out, which I thought he'd get a kick out of because he's a comic book guy also, Mark. Right. So right. obviously it's sort of, you know, a 1977 version by Howard Chaikin of his likeness, which is, you know, not bad. But uh, I think that's always kind of interesting, too, when you get to sort of see how people draw yourself. And over the years, not about Mark or about Star Wars, but you hear stories about like other licenses where like people – hate and complain about how they're drawn and make the comic book artists, you know, redo things over and over and over again. Cause you know, like they don't like their nose or that kind of stuff. And so it was fun to see Mark kind of reacting to himself, if that makes, you know what I mean? On, in, in the yeah. art. Yeah. And, and it's a beautiful I, I piece. Simply say, and again, I know it's not your guys area, but I guess I would say it's, it's, it's different than a rocket firing Boba Fett. But if you are a comic art collector, the star Wars one cover in this case, is one of one. So, you know, however many rocket bo yeah. 
bets there are, there are multiples. You know, I think we, yeah. when we were on our panel, the the, uh, the original prop collecting panel, we talked about how basically all the prop collectors started in toys, and there was a discussion of who has uh, a rocket, you know, FET, and, a, you know, a bunch of us put our hands up, and that doesn't make it any less good. But I will simply say in the world of comic art, when you have the piece, you have the piece, the you know, the original hand-drawn piece. So, you know, again, it's sort of like it may not be the toy collector's thing, but know that in its own way, it's equally important, just different. Yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, like, and we, we consider ourselves vintage Star Wars memorabilia, so that definitely fits within there. And I don't know if you're, uh, if you're on Facebook with uh, Matthew Roybal, if you know him at all. Um, he's the guy who has the crazy foreign comic book run. Yes, I've seen. Have his, you ever seen that picture? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. So I think if your collection and his collection could be in like one picture, it would be that shaken art just everywhere. You know, it would be you know from the original to every. I think he has like thirty different countries. We're, we're going to interview wow. him yeah, in the yeah. next couple of months. No, all those um, countries I mean, has, are really neat. And I've picked up odds and ends, not from him, but just in other places, just because they're neat. But again, but I've always been, dare I say, more of an art guy than a book guy. And so for me, it's been a real obsession, especially with uh, the first six, the original six issues that, you know, made up the original adaptation um, just to get covers, pages from the story of the adaptation from back in the day. Um, and actually, uh, I even helped um, IDW is a comic book publisher. They do a series of uh, uh, of these sort of art books. Um, and we did a Star Wars one where we reprint full size um, the original comic art and we scan the black and white stuff in color. So you can see the blue pencils and all the marks oh. and everything like that. Oh, cool. uh, and uh, and we did a Star Wars one and it's uh, it's fantastic. It's all of my collection and then a whole bunch of other people's collections all put together. Uh, and it's 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 badass. It's a really good book. If I uh, if I say so myself. Awesome. Yeah, I. Uh... Because I only collect Chewbacca, that's kept me out of, you know, not too much stuff. But I do have one page of an Infantino Star Wars Weekly thing where it's Chewbacca oh. just knocking people out in the in like a Imperial thing. It's wonderfully like almost like more like a Bigfoot. Like he's almost like part gorilla, part Bigfoot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> His Infantino's Chewbacca is kind of just wonderful. So yeah, that sounds like a great page. Yeah. It's its own thing. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is too much money for it's not a toy, but I just kind of got it anyway. Uh, and then he like died like two months later. So I was like, well, okay, I guess that was good. But yeah, and I think, I think photo art is something that, I mean, um, comic art is something that I think Steve and I would get into, but it's, it, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that many people who collect Star Wars comic art, um, but maybe we should do that as like a whole separate episode. Uh, it um, certainly could be. There's a yeah, couple, okay. I mean, there's a couple of guys in particular um, and then, you know, there's obviously guys like, you know, uh, who have big collections in general and then have examples. So, you know, for example, I can say like uh, and I think he would be the first to tell you, you know, Gus only recently added some like comic art to his collection. But it was something he'd been looking for for a while, you know, and finally found a couple of good pieces. So obviously yeah. not necessarily the core of his collection, but he's got a couple of great pieces. So, um, you know, people who are adding it or whatever. But there are some people that this is what they collect, which is, uh, you know, wonderful. Oh, actually terrible. I wish they'd all get, get out of the hobby and sell me their stuff. But anyway. <laughs> I, I, I know exactly how you feel, David. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> was, uh, was there other stuff that you brought to Mark that, that I, can't, I keep calling him Mark. Steve, you got to save me, okay? I'm just one of the first names. I need to say his full name because I can't act like I am on a first name basis with Mark Hamill. Were there other <laughs> things that you brought to Mr. Sir Hamill, sir? Um, that you that you showed him that didn't make it onto the onto the final edit. No, that was that was honestly everything. I mean, I think uh, I think they were the the sort of the the fet was sort of what I was there on you know specifically for, and I brought the uh, the con- I told them I'd bring something else for fun, and I don't even think they knew I was bringing it till I brought it, and they were very excited. So no, that was more than enough. And again, when we were doing it, you know, from my perspective, I guess the easiest way of saying is. I didn't see any of the rest of the episode. They didn't particularly tell me that the episode was about any sort of hunt. Do you know what I mean? That sort of narrative that there was no, none of that was explained to me, nor did it, I guess, need to be explained to me. It was just more sort of come on out and talk about that. So from, you know, for me, it was easy, I guess. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really exciting because Steve told me what they were doing. And I was sort of like, it's not going to happen. Like any anything that sounds as cool as, you know, Mark Hamill and my Star Wars toys, I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen. And then it finally happened, and there it was. So that's awesome. Um, let, me, let me see, Steve. I, I haven't heard you talk very much. Do you have any questions? <laughs> Just kind of going back to the, the comic art thing, with that specifically, I mean, I, I think it's it's seriously one of the most significant in terms of just the the cultural context of things that's that's a, a really really important piece and I, I really I remember Mark uh he, he was talking about how he, he saw it at a, a newsstand in Southern California he like he remembered seeing that cover as it was distributed so I I think you could tell he was like genuinely genuinely interested and, and fascinated to, to see it as it started and I thought that was awesome yeah I mean they took you know there's a lot to be said for obviously the whole Marvel Star Wars comic, you know, was very significant. It bailed Marvel out of some deep financial woes, whatnot. It kind of created this idea of doing, you know, nowadays it's very commonplace. There's a million, you know, tie-in comic books and things. But that was the, right. was the one, you know, like the toys with the Kenner stuff. It really defined an industry. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, again, I'm talking, you know, whatever, seven, eight-year-old me, where basically – the movie comes out, you know, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. The adaptation comes out. There are these six, there are these six issues that basically retell the movie, but dare I say, even have a couple of little moments because they were working from the script. So there's a couple right, of right. different in the adaptation. So that was mind blowing. Um, you know, and it, it sent me off to look at the novel and all these things, you know, in terms of, I guess, young me reading, but then all of a sudden issue seven comes out, which is right. ongoing star Wars thing. And the first issue, issue seven is, uh, a Han and Chewie adventure on another planet. I mean, that was like they went into like my seven-year-old sort of like subconscious and took that story, you know, because if you'd said to me, well, what should we do? It's like, well, I want to see Han and Chewie. So, you know, that issue seven um, was just like the idea that it, it's continuing. It was just like for me, it was just, oh, my God. And, and dare I say on my comic art want list, the cover to seven heretofore unseen by me or anyone I know is, yeah. you know, probably possibly number one or one of the number one or number top two or three things 
on my comic art want list of like I would yeah. I would kill for that cover to seven because again I can remember that sense of oh my god it's continuing. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Gee, Steve, um, you should have asked you more questions. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting that thinking about it that in that way of people just being so hungry for for something more and comics being such a a big player in that at that point where like you said now there's it's the flood but at that point i'm imagining people were, were pretty hungry yeah i mean if you go back to that and you know again these are my memories of that first christmas my folks would have nothing to do with that early bird kit there was no <laughs> there was no world where they were buying a you know piece of cardboard with no figures in it that were going to be sent to you later but yeah but they certainly bought me the red flashlight with a tube attached to it that was right, right. The, <laughs> the Christmas 77 knockoff sabers. My sister and I both had one. We even started like going to like the, the craft store and buying other colored, you know, pieces of like the, the sort of the plastic paper, whatever the heck it's called, so that we could turn our saber different color. I mean, so if we're buying, you know, a flashlight with a tube for however much that cost back then, you know, it was, you know, it was just, what can we get with star Wars? You know, any, any magazine that mentioned it, you know, it just anything. And that by the way, wasn't just like, you know, sci-fi magazines, but you know how it was surprising how often, uh, you know, like people and Rolling Stone and stuff were putting them on the covers. I oddly enough, one of my big comic con pickups this year, which uh, I just posted on my, uh, social media uh, recently, which uh, if people want to check out, uh, I'm at David H. Mandel, M-A-N-D-E-L. Uh, I'm that on uh, Instagram and Twitter, so you can look in either place. It's sort of whatever. But I picked up a uh, 1978 uh, Playboy original art to a Playboy cartoon. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. Like, basically, you yeah. know, Luke and everybody standing in front of Vader. And it is an awful cartoon. The joke is terrible. It's something about Vader saying... I remember the joke didn't make any sense. What was the joke? Vader saying something along the lines of, I was a Cadillac in my past life, which is very much like probably a 60-year-old or 50-year-old guy's take on Star Wars, that Vader looks like a Cadillac or something. (laughs) Right, yeah. But the art (laughs) is gorgeous. It is a... Um, it's by one of uh, uh, one of the, the, the sort of the Playboy cartoon masters, for lack of a better word. Um, just a guy named uh, God, what's his name? A guy named uh, Roland Wilson. Um, and the, mm-hmm. the, the art is just gorgeous. And, uh, you know, and it's popped up in other sort of Star Wars reference stuff over the years. Um, so terrible joke, which is a gorgeous piece. But again, yeah. it's the idea in 1978 that, you know, even Playboy is doing Star Wars jokes. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it, you know, it's, it's just such a different thing than, you know, nowadays where I have two young kids and there's probably something new Star Wars that comes out for sale or whatever once a week, if not multiples. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can yeah. show them a new cartoon or a new book, or one of seven different comics, or this, or that, or whatever. Yeah. So there's just, you know, that you forget what it was like back then, I guess. Yeah. Just yesterday, I went to the kind of like cool, you know, record shop in Rochester, and my daughter found a bootleg uh, prayer candle of Chewbacca as Buddy Jesus. 
<laughs> and she's like, do you have that? And I, I was like, I always say yes, because it's always like sometimes like, no, I don't. And I, I remember just thinking like, what an amazing world we live in where this like weird kind of underground record shop has some random Star Wars thing. Like, especially if you buy everything Chewbacca, David, you just never stop. You're just, you're buying band-aids, you're buying, you know, you're just running around everywhere. But yeah, that I, the, the, the Playboy art, the fact that the joke is so bad, the way that you cast it actually makes it funnier. The idea that being some I really love, old guy. Yeah, I love how, I guess I love sort of the context. And again, I wasn't there in the Playboy editorial office, but I guess I just love the idea that this is what, you know, on the one hand, they knew it was cool and they were putting it in the magazine. But on the other hand, they were sort of making fun of it. It reminds me of like, watching like Dean Martin introduce the Beatles. You know what I mean? Where it's like, on the one hand, yeah. <laughs> booked him on his show, but on the other hand, he's sort of being kind of a little bit of an ass about their haircuts and stuff. I don't know. It just, uh, it just again, very much speaks of the time, you know, again. And, you know, if it, if it I think it ran in 78, so maybe it was done in 77. Who knows? But again, just yeah. that period. Um, and I, I just, I love the early art. And one of the things that comes through and I realize this is we've now sort of sidetracked, but, uh, you know, obviously Lucas is building a museum and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, it's going to be great when it's done. Um, and it's going to be here in LA actually, which is good for me. Um, yeah, but yeah. especially in those early years of star Wars, he himself is such a, a fan of art that the trouble that he went to, you know, like really handpicking Howard Chaikin because he liked Chaikin's style for the star Wars books or the way that, like, when they would do international posters and stuff, they would go to artists from those different countries to do variations of, even if it's variations of the same poster, right, to yeah. countries. And so, you know, now you look back and, you know, when you get to see these various posters from all the different countries and you get, like, the Italian one with, you know, sexy Leia, you know, and very, like, chesty masculine kind of luke and it just so speaks to again not just the time but also the countries and all just how interesting the art was and things like the burger king posters and just all of that stuff and the dare i say the the care and the craft that went into these things again especially from the art perspective whereas nowadays everything would probably just be a photo you know what i mean and yeah no no and it would yes. all just be digital probably so yeah yeah you can't beat the the uniqueness of of that that time and how things were done. Yeah. Um, it's I, you wish I just I, I know it's just never going to come back to something like that. No, I mean I, once, I, once in a blue moon, you, know, you have stuff like uh, you know you have those great like like Mondo making their own sort of post. Yeah, and you just right. have I think you have guys that you know know it's cool. You know, like I think you know like guys like jj abrams certainly appreciate the period and that idea and yeah you know and i think they sometimes try and do like a limited edition thing or whatever but right the days of like multiple illustrated released posters yeah. that's gone as obviously yeah as like a, a business model it is it is long extinct yeah. no deader than dead yeah. it was a funny story a couple of years ago I can't remember if it was the final season or the second to last season of Mad Men, and they wanted for the ad, they for the you know the, the billboard ads and whatnot for the season, they wanted a like a '60s illustration, 
Yeah. Kept trying and they were having a really hard time. And then finally they found a guy that was still working. He was older, still had his eyes in his hands, but he had worked in the 60s in madman like offices. And he did a piece and it, you know, and and that 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 sort of piece, you know, has kind of that of the era sort of, I don't know, Bob P quality, whatever you want to call it. But like the guy knocked it out of the park. But there was a authenticity to it as much as anything else. And I, I love that about sort of 70s into the 80s Star Wars art. That's a yeah. big thing for me. Um, and then obviously Macquarie stuff too, but that's sort of its own category. But anyway, sorry. I dig yeah. this. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, I am right now drinking from the 1977, uh, you know, Burger Chef Cup. So, a Burger King Cup. Oh, right. Chewbacca. Chef, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking, yeah. and I'm looking at the lines underneath the, uh, yeah, it's actually pretty interesting about about Chewbacca in particular. You can really understand an artist by how they tackle Chewbacca because it's like, yeah. what kind of expression does he have? Is he like angry? Is he cute? Is he cuddly? Like, how much hair? How does the hair go? Like, how much is the emphasis on the teeth or the eyes? And anyways, so yeah, definitely this early art is great because uh, this cup is awesome. I mean, I, I, so. I, I'm a huge fan of those, uh, the four posters that were also made into the cups uh, mm-hmm. by an artist named Del Nichols. Um, and it was one of the big early, obviously, again, you know, history wise, you know, one of these great early fast food. I think Coca-Cola was involved, tie-ins. So, yeah, Burger King, Burger Chef, Coca-Cola, Star Wars, and then this this just amazing art. And, uh, you know, those glasses and those posters, you know, I would put up against anything in the entire original trilogy just art wise uh yeah, uh, yeah. you know the chewbacca and han one is great the oranges and the droid one the purples in the vader i mean just just color wise it's gorgeous um so yeah yeah it's uh oh boy i feel like we could uh okay so steve so we have to have david back on again to talk about maybe just a general art episode uh, i'd be thrilled to you know, talk about yeah I think that'd be, that'd be really fun to just like get a couple, you know, just areas to talk about to focus on art. But I think we may have yeah. to get to our lightning round, Steve, because I have to get my daughter up to go to, I'm, I'm not a cool West Coast guy like you guys. So I got to <laughs> get my daughter up to go to camp tomorrow. Um, so are, are you ready for the uh, so be it lightning round, David? I am. I had no, I apologize for not being a, a listener. I did not know there was a lightning round, but I'm very, <laughs> I'm very excited to participate in said lightning round. So be it. Okay. O- the only question that take that's hard to answer is the last one. So, okay. Um, and, and it should be three or five, but there's actually only four questions. So there you go. All right. Uh, the first question is, what is your favorite bad line of dialogue from a Star Wars movie? Uh, let's see. Bad line of dialogue from any of them, or so to give you, yeah, from, from any of them. To give you an example, my favorite is pilot land over there by that assembly area. Uh, See, I so go, that's, I, my, that's my favorite bad line. I go for I go for like more highfalutin. I you know that the I, the, the 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 Leia line about uh, I detected your stench. Like I like that. Do you know what I mean? Like I like that sort okay. of frou bad line like that. Okay, good. All right. Now the the second one will the second and third question will be difficult uh, because of the uh, the state of your collection. Sure. Um, but if you had to choose. One Star Wars collectible to save, 
uh, if you're, uh, you know, if the, the fires from uh, Santa Barbara come all the way down to your, sure, your part sure. of LA and you could only grab one item, what would it be? Uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy. All right. Um, and I hope I'm not disappointing any of you toy listeners. Um, it's going to be a movie yes. problem. Um, I yes. have, I have one of, uh, one of the two, uh, screen used, uh, new hope, uh, Chewbacca masks. And I would grab that. That's, uh, that's difficult to argue. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd still go with a photo art, but that's okay. All right. There's two masks. There's only one photo art. Here's the good news is I'm running out with the mask. If you can get in there without the fire burning, you take your pick, you know. Right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's that, that's a, at least it's a Chewbacca answer. That, that's there you go. Chewbacca related. Chewbacca adjacent. Now, now, if I extended it to have to be a toy or something related to the toy line, would, would it be the photo art or would it be something else? Boy, it would probably come down very closely between photo art and, I guess, rocket firing, but one of the rocket firing Boba Fett's just because, you know, that sort of the legend, you know, like, you know, I knew the legend before I knew the toy. So the legend haunted me for many years, just the idea that we were all supposed to be sent it for those reasons. But I would probably go photo art in my uh, in my current collection. Okay, good. Um, now, see, Steve, it's tough because it seems like you have so many different areas to collect. But yeah. do you have a, a holy grail item? Now, we know as far as art goes, we can say that's the, the uh, Star Wars number seven cover. But is yeah. there like a particular item? I mean, it's. I mean, if I could pick the different areas, it's like for comic art, the Star Wars Seven would be a would be my holy grail. Um, for movie for movie prop, um, I guess the true dream would be an ILM, you know, actual model of the Falcon. I guess that would be a dream. I don't believe that dream will ever come true, but it's a dream nonetheless. Um, uh, toy wise. I don't know. It's tougher. You know, it's harder there in the sense of like, I will say this, and I don't know if I'm necessarily, it's something I used to really want. It's something I never got. I never really had the opportunity, but I always, the idea of it, and you'll laugh, um, similar to the Lando, it was the, uh, the, the Han Hoff mock-up, the 12 inch. Um, yeah, that was something that's probably, you know, Hoth as a planet, um, Han's jacket, the whole brown-blue nonsense, whatever. Like, probably my favorite, you know, environment, my favorite costume, my favorite, you know, one of my all-time favorite sections of any of the movies. Um, and the idea, again, you know, and this was me reading, you know, like, Tomart's magazine, the notion that these things existed, but there was, you know, in my mind, there was only one of them. Um was very exciting to me, even though it's not anything I ever acted on. So maybe one day I'll act on it if, if one ever shows itself in my area. Yeah, the last one I remember seeing for sale was actually Brian Rockfell had one. I was going to say, I didn't see his. I saw a box flat relatively recently on eBay, but not a figure. But the box is ah, interesting to yeah. me also, I will say. No, he, he had it boxed, and I remember because he was selling it about maybe a decade ago. And there was a famous line where it was back on rebel scum and people were saying that it was too expensive. And his sure. response was sort of famously haughty. He said, the Han Hoff is obviously not for the members of this board. <laughs> and, <laughs> and just, 
I always have that in mind whenever I say something kind of snobby. I'm like, obviously not for the members of this. No, this forum. Obviously not for members of this forum. Okay. Now, now here comes the last question, and, and we can help buy you time because yeah. it usually takes a little bit of time to figure out. If you were an item of vintage Star Wars memorabilia, not what would you like to be, but what do you think you would actually be if you were an item of vintage Star Wars memorabilia? Oh, dear God. If I were. Yeah. Yes. Like, what do you think actually would represent you as a person? Um, some, some examples. Uh, one person said they'd be a rebel transport. Um, and their reasoning was because they carry people around and they like to travel. Uh, a different person said a rebel transport. And they said, <laughs> because I'm hollow inside. <laughs> so you, you can have any kind of answer that, that you want, but it's a sort of existential question that, that we like to like to ask people. Well, I guess I'm going to kind of try and go for to try and to try and explain my sort of uh, my comedy roots. Uh, I think I would like to be a very uh, I'd like to be a strange Mexican bootleg, like a like a like a okay. like a purple Chewbacca that you kind of see and you you laugh at instantly in a good way. Awesome. <laughs> Yes, that that definitely that definitely fits and works within the uh, yeah, that that makes sense like a weird Mexican purple Chewbacca. Yeah, awesome, cool. Well, I think I mean I, I mean the good news is I think that uh, now that you've invited Jasper Nixon uh, to the next uh, celebration, <laughs> I think we'll have something going there. I, I was thinking, I mean, uh, I, I could imagine you know could there be a, a Dave and Steve video game explosion coming to Celebration Nine? I'm just saying, I think you guys could, you know, do it again because uh, that would be that'd be pretty exciting. One can only hope, although Steve these days is working right now for a very uh, like right wing news organization, so I'm not sure he's available. But uh, what you strange, oh, oh my. stranger things have happened. Well, that could make it more interesting, I guess. Yes, but, uh, wow. <laughs> so my computer crashed, David. So I have all my notes written down in pencil on like a piece of paper and so i'm looking through to make sure that i that i got all of them um let's see taliban jokes um video games apps a lot yeah i think yeah, i think i got everything here uh steve is anything else you can think of uh, no i mean I, I i think we could we could keep talking all night um i, I hope we get to to have you on again um uh, sometime soon it's been it's been great anytime honestly really fun always happy to to talk star wars so seriously thank you